Well, we are continuing in our series that we started last week uh, entitled The Good Life, in which we're walking through Jesus' words in the Sermon on the Mount, found in Matthew chapters 5 through 7. And this week I want to spend, you know, last week we kind of took an overview look, and, and this week I, I, a little bit closer to, to the, the ground on this one, but still kind of a, a, a little bit of a, um, a contextual idea and, 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 and kind of spending some more time getting us in the right frame of mind and understanding the context in which Jesus speaks these words in the Sermon on the Mount. Because context is important, right? Not just in how we approach the Bible, but it's important in, in everyday life. I, I shared these with you before, but there's a couple of, of, of uh, funny lines that I, I always go to when I think about context. One said, a baby's laughter is one of the most beautiful sounds you will ever hear, unless it's 3 a.m. and you're home alone and you don't have a baby. <laughs> then it's not so funny, right? Uh, another one said, I'm sorry and my bad usually mean the same thing. Unless you're at a funeral, and then they don't mean the same thing. Some of you can think about that one, but I thought those were pretty good. Needless to say, context is important. It is super important. For instance, when you marry into a family, or you move to a different part of the country, or different part of the world, or you start a new job, or even start attending a church, there are words, or maybe words or expressions that are often used in that family, or in that part of the country, or that part of the world, or in that job or in that church even, that mean something to those people. But because you may be new to that culture, new to that environment, you may not know the story or the meaning behind those words and expressions, and so you may not have a context for understanding what it is that they are actually talking about. And a couple of things can happen when that takes place. One is that you can feel like an outsider because you don't really know what's going on, you don't know the context, you don't know the meaning behind those words and those phrases. But another thing that can happen is that you can start using that word or that phrase thinking you know what it means only to wind up using it in a way that is not the way it means, not the way it was intended. And sometimes that can get you into trouble. I, I think about one example of this, although it didn't get this person into trouble, but it is kind of funny um, when, I, when I think back about it. Um, when Marcy and I were in college, we... Uh, worked with a couple of different churches, and there was one church that we worked with uh, in particular that was in Choctaw, Arkansas. And we would drive out to Choctaw, uh, Marcy and I, and a couple of our other friends who went and worked with the youth group out there, and we would drive out there to uh, go work with the kids. And there was one also along with us, um, a, uh, a guy by the name of Jose, who went to school with us. And Jose obviously was Spanish, he spoke Spanish, uh, English was his, very much his second language. And so we're all on, every Sunday morning we would drive out to Choctaw and work with the youth. Uh, but Jose would go out there because they also had a Spanish-speaking uh, ministry that he worked with out at the church. And so we're on our way to church one Sunday morning, and it's an hour drive, so you've got a little bit of time to chat. And as we're driving out there, I don't remember what was said. Marcy, you could ask Marcy the story. She, she might remember it uh, more than I do. But I, I don't remember what was said, but um, somehow, um, you know, our, our friend, he said something to uh, our, our friend Nathan, and Nathan said the phrase, no way, Jose, right? Just kind of playing around. And so Jose responds with, no way, Nathan, because he didn't really understand the context of what it was that, that Nathan was using that phrase. Again, context is important. And this happens when we read the Bible from time to time. We may pick it up and 
read a particular scripture or read a particular story and not always consider the context in which that story or that scripture is found. And there are a couple of layers that I think need to be considered when it comes to context. First is the the verses before and after what it is that you're reading. Don't just read the verse, but you need to read the verses directly before and after, and then certainly how that fits contextually into the book as a whole that you're reading. For us in Matthew, it's not just reading a certain little section of Scripture here in Matthew chapter 5, but it's reading it in the context of Matthew chapters 5 through 7, and then understanding it in the context of the, the book as a whole. But secondly, there's also the context of what's going on in that day and time and that culture in which the story or section of Scripture takes place. And certainly, that applies to Jesus' words on the ser- in the Sermon on the Mount as well. And having a grasp of the context is so important when it comes to understanding it and ultimately applying it. Otherwise, you can come to some wrong conclusions. And so it's in that spirit of having a context for what it is that we're going to be walking through over the next couple of months. We're going to be in this series for a few months uh, that, that I actually want to back up a little bit before we get to Matthew chapter 5 and look at chapter 4 of Matthew. And I'm going to skip through just a little bit, not a whole lot, but it might be easier to follow on the screen, uh, but you're more than welcome to follow along in your Bible or on the app as well. So starting in Matthew chapter 4, verse 12. When Jesus heard that John had been put in prison, he returned to Galilee. Then verse 17 says, From that time on, Jesus began to preach, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven, hang on to that phrase, has come near. Then down to verse 23, Jesus went throughout Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness among the people. News about him spread all over Syria, and people brought to him all who were ill with various diseases, those suffering severe pain, the demon possessed, those having seizures, and the paralyzed, and he healed them. Large crowds from Galilee, the Decapolis, Jerusalem, Judea, and the region across the Jordan followed him. And then chapter 5, verse 1, Now when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and sat down. And his disciples came to him, and he began to teach them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Now, here's what I want you to notice and why I cut it off there and why I started where I did. Our reading begins and ends with Jesus talking about the kingdom of heaven. And this is one of those cases where context really is important. Because when Jesus is talking about the kingdom of heaven here, he's not just talking about, you know, um, streets of gold and however you picture heaven, you know, never-ending chocolate fountains or whatever you picture heaven being like. He's, he's not talking about that place you go to hopefully after you die. That, that's not what he's talking about here, nor is that what the people listening to Jesus would have heard or understood him to be saying. The people that Jesus was speaking to were predominantly Jews at this point, and they were brought up reading the prophet Isaiah, who often prophesied about the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God however phrase you want to use there. And and to them, the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven wasn't necessarily a place or a location as much as it was a happening. Or to put it this way, it's the first thing in, in your notes, that phrase, the kingdom of God, really refers to God's rule, God's reign, and God's authority on display. For instance, I I know this isn't a perfect illustration. I've used it before, uh, but I can't think of a better one, so I'm going to use it. Uh, But if I were to ask you, what is my wife's 
Um, what is her kingdom? You know, as it relates maybe to a little bit of what we're talking about here, the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God. What is my wife's kingdom? Well, my, my wife's kingdom is basically our house and her van and our property, right? And so it's all hers, but things in the house or in the van or things on our property aren't always as she desires, right? Unmade beds and dirty clothes on the floor and dirty clothes in, or dirty dishes. Dirty clothes in the sink would not be a good thing at all. Dirty dishes in the sink uh, do not reflect her reign. Food and trash and, you know, bits of things in the van don't reflect her rule. The grass in the yard, I don't know, not this time of year, but snow in the driveway, grass growing in the summer, you know, longer than it should be, weeds in her garden, uh, the, the garage being cluttered and, and messy, those things do not reflect her authority at that moment. That's not what she desires. My wife's reign is reflected when beds are made and dirty clothes and dirty dishes are taken care of, when the van is cleaned up and there's not food crumbs everywhere. Her reign is reflected when the yard is mowed and weeds aren't overrunning her flowers and the, uh, the, the, the garage is at least somewhat tidy and, and ordered. Her reign is also reflected probably when her husband checks with her before making her into a sermon illustration, but we will talk about that another day. Um, but my wife's reign is not so much a a, a, a place, right, as it is a happening about what's going on when things happen according to her will and her pleasure. And Jesus comes on the scene, in essence, and declares that the reign and the rule and the authority of God has come near. It's happening. Think about this. In Psalm chapter 24, verse 1, it says, the earth is the Lord's, okay? The earth is the Lord's. Everything in it is His. It's all His. And all who live in it are his. And so, yes, the Lord owns the earth, right? It is his, and everything in it is his, but not everything in it is consistent with his reign. Not everything on earth is in accordance with his desires. And so when Jesus comes on the scene and declares that the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven, has come near, he's making his excuse me, this announcement that the reign and the rule of God is breaking in here and now. So what are some of the things that one looks for when the reign of God is breaking in? What are some of the things that, that, that go according to God's desires? What does that look like? Well, as I mentioned earlier, the people listening to Jesus here were brought up on the prophet Isaiah and his words about the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God. And in Isaiah, there's some pretty large chunks of scripture that speak of the kingdom of God. And all of those passages, pretty much all of those passages, speak of the kingdom of God in terms of one thing more than any other. And that is deliverance, or to put it another way, salvation. But that's another way of talking about salvation, is deliverance. And then Jesus shows up and say, you know, says that the kingdom of God has come near and that it's come near through him. And remember, I mentioned this last week. What, what does the name of Jesus mean? The name of Jesus literally means God saves. The Lord saves. The Lord delivers. And so the kingdom of heaven has come near in Jesus. And he's named a name meaning the Lord saves. The Lord delivers. That's starting to make sense. Let's go a little bit deeper. What does this deliverance look like? What does this salvation look like? One of those passages in Isaiah that speak of the kingdom of God and the kingdom of heaven in terms of deliverance and salvation, you'll find some of these other words. Words like peace, 
healing, joy, a return from separation from God, righteousness, justice, fairness in how we treat one another and how we love one another. All of these things are associated with the kingdom of God breaking out and coming near. Here's what else I want you to notice about these words. These words reinforce what it is that we're talking about in this passage and over, overview look and what we talked about some last week. The salvation and deliverance isn't just something that happens to your soul after you die. It's not just something that's related to golden streets and you know, angels playing on harps and never-ending chocolate fountains or again, however you kind of picture heaven. These words speak to the reality of what happens in this world in people's lives when the reign of God breaks in and breaks through. And so I wanted to spend some time this morning on this and talking about this so that we'll know and understand what Jesus is talking about and what it is those people are hearing when he uses the phrase kingdom of heaven. Again, it's not necessarily referring to streets of gold and chocolate fountains, however fun that sounds. But it's referring to the saving and the delivering, the reigning and rule of the power of God on earth that breaks in and changes people's lives. And this is what's going on right before Jesus delivers the Sermon on the Mount. But here's something else that I want you to think about and for us to understand as well. Before Jesus delivers the Sermon on the Mount, he delivers a whole bunch of people in the valley. Before he preaches a sermon, he delivers some people. Look again at what Matthew writes in chapter 4. Verse 23, Jesus went throughout Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom, and healing every disease and sickness among the people. News about him spread all over Syria, and people brought to him all who were ill with various diseases, those suffering severe pain, the demon-possessed, those having seizures, and the paralyzed, and he healed them. And then large crowds from Galilee, the Decapolis, Jerusalem, Judea, and the region across the Jordan followed him. So this is what's happening right before Jesus delivers the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus wasn't just declaring that the kingdom of God had come near. He was also demonstrating that the kingdom of God has come near. Here, and here he's bringing deliverance and peace and healing and joy to people who are in dire circumstances physically. He, he's not just declaring it. He's demonstrating. This is the greatest example of show and tell what Jesus is exhibiting here. Because before Jesus tells anything about the kingdom in the Sermon on the Mount, he does a whole lot of showing of what the kingdom is all about. And here, the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven, is making a practical difference in people's lives, freeing their bodies from disease and pain and demonic possess possession. I love what uh, Paul would later say in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse one, or 20. He says, for the kingdom of God is not a matter of talk. It's not just about telling, but it is a power. And so when we talk about the kingdom of God coming near, this isn't just something figurative. This isn't just something symbolic. This is the reign and the rule of God making a difference in the quality of people's lives. <clears throat> but Jesus doesn't stop there because there's more that needs to be healed, right, than just our bodies. There's more that just needs to be healed than just our, our bodies and physically. And so that's why in Matthew chapter 5, he begins to teach them in the Sermon on the Mount. And in the sermon, his deliverance continues. It's just a different expression of his healing. Because in the sermon, he teaches them in order to bring deliverance and peace and healing and joy. In the sermon, he begins to talk about issues that plague our lives and bring so much suffering. In the sermon, he begins to talk about issues that are so destructive to our families 
and our churches and our marriages and our relationships because he wants to heal all of us, not just physically, but all of us, not just our bodies, but our minds and our souls and our spirits and our lives. And I mentioned this last week, but just look again at some of the issues in the Sermon on the Mount that we are going to talk about over these next several months that Jesus deals with, things like anger and division and lust and integrity and revenge, dealing with our enemies, living for the approval of others, prayer, faith, money, wealth, anxiety, fear, judging others, discerning the character of people. I mean, the list just goes on and on. There's so much stuff packed into these three chapters. And again, think about how much of our quality of life involves matters like these. Think about how much of our lives are wrapped up, how much space between our ears is taken up in dealing with these issues that Jesus addresses in the Sermon on the Mount. Every single day, our lives are consumed with matters related to these things and dealing with the consequences of these things. And so in Jesus' teaching, he's come to deliver us, to save us in regard to such matters. And this is practically what it means for the kingdom of God to come near, for, for Jesus to speak of the kingdom of God coming near. And this is why it's such good news. I mean, I wish I could get this through our heads. I wish I could get it through my head more than what I often realize. It. Why this is such good news, what Jesus is about to teach, because this is going to make a practical difference in the way we live our lives. What we're doing here and what we live as Christians is not just so that ultimately one day we can just get to heaven. It's so that we can have a little bit of heaven on earth and how we live our lives, as Jesus will talk about in the Sermon on the Mount in the Lord's Prayer, right? So that we can bring a little bit of heaven into how we live our lives because the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven, has come near for us to be able to do that. You know, it won't be long before the Super Bowl, we were just talking, I can't believe it's already middle of January, right? The Super Bowl is going to be here in like three weeks, I think, or a couple of weeks, not, not too far down the line. And, uh, you know, I, I, I'm a sports guy, so I enjoy watching the Super Bowl, but I also enjoy watching the commercials. How, how many of you, you could care less about the Super Bowl, but you'll watch it for the commercials? How many of you? Okay, so several of you. Not as much as what it used to be now. The commercials aren't as good as what they used to be. Um, but there's still some, some good ones that are out there. And one of my favorites is a commercial that uh, aired several years ago. It's actually been, I, don't, I didn't look up how long it's been, but I know how long the movie it was based on has been. Uh, and that's been 20 years ago. Uh, but it was a, a commercial done by FedEx. And some of you will remember this. Uh, but it was based on the movie Castaway. Remember that in, in, starring Tom Hanks? And if you remember the movie, Tom Hanks uh, plays this FedEx worker who's on a plane delivering packages to the other side of the world, and the plane uh, that he's on goes down because of a storm, and, uh, and he goes down to the Pacific Ocean, and Hanks manages to escape the plane, he gets into an emergency life raft, and eventually washes up on shore, and, and he's on this uninhabited island with all of these packages for years, and ultimately he winds up opening most of the packages and living off the contents within them. But there's one package with a pair of angel wings stenciled on it that he does not open. He feels like he just shouldn't open it. And he's on that island for years without ever opening 
the package, and the, spoiler alert, but if you haven't seen the movie, it's been 20 years, okay, so uh, he ends up going back and, and, and eventually uh, he gets rescued and he goes back and delivers the package to the person that he, uh, or that it was supposed to be delivered to. Again, sorry for the spoiler, but it's been over 20 years, I think you can deal with that. So after the movie, FedEx came out with this commercial based on the movie. It was a spoof off the movie. And so the commercial starts with this FedEx employee looking like a grizzled Tom Hanks in the movie. And he's carrying this package. And he walks up to the door of this house. And he rings the doorbell. And when the lady comes to answer the door, he explains that he's been marooned on this deserted island for five years. And he's kept this package, all of, keeping him alive, thinking about how he's going to deliver this package to her, never opening it, always protecting it. And she takes the package and basically says, you know, that's admirable, thank you. And, and then she turns to go back inside and close the door, and his curiosity just gets the best of him, and he can't help himself. And he, so he says, if you don't mind me asking, what's in the package? And she says very nonchalantly, oh, nothing really. Again, remember, he's been on this deserted island. Uh, oh, nothing really, just a satellite phone, GPS locator, fishing rod, water purifier, and some seeds. Just silly stuff, right? It's a great commercial. If you haven't seen it, YouTube it. It's a, it's a really funny commercial. But I bring that up because I think there are far too many people, too many Christians, who are a lot like that FedEx guy. We carry around the teaching and the instruction of Jesus. We speak of it as sacred. We protect it. We declare it as being the words of God, the words of His Son, Jesus Christ, and yet how often do we act like we have such little idea as to what is really contained within them? How often do we turn to other forms of advice and wisdom and teaching before we turn to what God desires to share with us? But when we truly open it up and we dig in, we find the very instructions that can deliver us and save us, that can make a difference for our lives, that can put us in a position to experience and even be conduits of joy and peace and healing and righteousness and justice in our world. And that's why we're going to be digging in to Jesus' words in the Sermon on the Mount over the next few months. That's why it's so important to take in what he has, the life-giving words that he desires to share with us. And speaking of that, that's what takes us into chapter 5. After all of this healing, Matthew says, Now when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and sat down, and his disciples came to him, and he began to teach them. And next week we will pick back up with the very first thing that Jesus said, but I wanted us to get ready to hear what he's about to say, because context is everything. And so for this morning, let me just give you a couple of takeaways, and then the lesson is yours. And the first one is this. The kingdom of God isn't about... Streets of gold and never-ending chocolate fountains. The kingdom of God, the, 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 the kingdom of heaven is about the power of God that's available for us to experience real change in this life. Again, it's not just about getting to heaven. It's about making a real impactful difference on your life here and now. And in the Sermon on the Mount, you and I are going to be challenged to change. But what I want us to realize is that before Jesus ever begins the Sermon on the Mount, the one thing he makes very clear through his healings is that not only does he bring us the call to change, but he also brings us the power to change. 
This is why his words in the middle part of Matthew chapter 4 are so important to remember when he says, repent for the kingdom of heaven is near. Now, a lot of people, when we hear this phrase, because it's kind of been used that way in a lot of times, it's easy to kind of think of like this doomsday preacher on the street corner, you know, say, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand, you know, repent for the world is, is coming to an end. And yes, the world is coming to an end at some point. I don't know when, nor do you. Um, We'll, we'll see that day when it gets here. But that's not really what Jesus is, is saying here. Yes, he's calling us to repent. Yes, he's calling us to change. But one of the reasons he calls us to do so is because there's a power available for you and I to do so. There's a power available for us to repent. There's a power available for us to be able to change. Those things that have marked our lives don't have to continue to mark our lives moving forward because the kingdom of heaven has come near. The saving and delivering rule and reign and authority of God has come near in Jesus Christ. And Jesus isn't in the business of asking you and I to do something that he won't also empower us to do. And then the second takeaway is this. It's time to come out from the crowd and to draw nearer to Jesus. Jesus sees the crowd, goes up on a mountainside and sits down and it's an easy detail to kind of skip over, but I think it's important in the context of what it is that we're talking about. Because Matthew says that his disciples, Jesus' disciples, came to him. They literally left the crowds and came to him. And that in and of itself could define a disciple. A disciple is one who comes out from the crowd to be with Jesus. You see, there are crowds that are, that are wanting to be around Jesus. He's just gotten through healing all of these people. People want to know, what's he about? I, I, I want to be around this guy who heals people. That's why there's 5,000, 4,000 people around him when he feeds them, right? Because people want to know. They want to see this guy who can heal and, and bring life where there is disease and sickness and bring food where there is a lack of food. And so all of these people, they're crowding around Jesus because he's touched them in some way. But disciples come near to Jesus, not just so that they can be touched. So our circumstances can be changed, so that, so that we can get what we want. Disciples come near to Jesus so that they can be changed. You see, at this point, Jesus has a lot of fans. And the reality is, Jesus still has a lot of fans today. Maybe not everything that he says, but we all want what he ultimately gives, right? Everybody wants to go to heaven. Nobody truly wants to go to hell. And so there's a lot of fans of Jesus. But there's a difference between being a follower of Jesus and being a fan of Jesus. But the good news is that even if you're living your life as more of a fan than a follower, if you'll just hang in there, with Jesus and his teachings in the Sermon on the Mount and trust his power at work in your life. He'll take you from the place of being a fan to the place of being a fully devoted follower of him. Because his will is for you and me to be so much more than just a fan. 